Welcome back to Nerd is the New Cool Podcast. I'm Justin. And I'm Josh. Josh, what has been happening recently, bud? You know, I'm having a rough time right now. My air conditioner is out. So we have to get a new air conditioner. So that's a lot of fun. Sounds like a blast. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, it's not a good week to not have air conditioner. So No, we had our water go out last week. And it's the longest it's ever been. It was like two days. And then we were on a, a boil order. Oh man! Day. So you had a rough. We've had just the podcast has had a rough time. I guess it was a rough. Yeah, yeah it was a rough couple of days. But we're we're better now. Hopefully, you get that thing fixed and turned on. Yes. Think tomorrow. Hopefully, we get it fixed. Yeah. So. Let's hope it's going to be ninety five and hotter. Yeah, it's going to be hot. So. Enjoy the week. Yeah. So, so let's get to uh, what we've been nerding out on lately. Yeah. Yeah. So I have been watching this awesome show. I'm like freaking obsessed with it. It's called What We Do in the Shadows. You ever heard of it? Have not heard of it. Yeah, so it's it's a show. It's a show created and written by Jemaine Clement and Tika Watiti. Do you know you know who that is? I don't know who Jemaine Clement is, not the other person. Yeah, so uh, Watiti is the guy who was behind Thor Ragnarok. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's awesome. He's just a great... Jemaine Clement's like Moana, a lot of Disney movies. Yeah, yeah. Flight of the Concords also. Mm-hmm. And so he... They both created and, and wrote this show, and it's based off of a 2014 movie by the same name. And it debuted March 27th of this year on FX. There are 10 30-minute episodes so far, but it's already been renewed for the second season. Basically, it is The Office. So, like, a documentary crew follows along, follows around with this group, but they're following around vampires. That's an interesting concept. It is. So it's funny. It's a comedy. Yeah, and there's some horror aspects to it, but it's it's done so in like a, a, a hilarious way. Mm-hmm. I, I, so, this guy, I'll just give you the the, the the cast list a little bit. Which a few of them have been in a, a couple things, but I, I don't really know them that well. Um, Kayvon Novak is plays Nandor. These are the these these first three are all vampires. Matt Berry plays Laszlo. Natasha Dimitru plays Nadia, and then we've got kind of like his his uh, uh, Nandor's, I guess, apprentice. Basically, the human that keeps track and keeps uh, look over him when he's sleeping. Um, Harvey uh, Gillian, he's from the internship, plays Guillermo. And we've also got Mark Prosk, who, which is a really kind of interesting character. He's he's actually in The Office, Better Call Saul, Drunk History. He plays Colin Robinson, but he's like a, a day-walking vampire that like feeds off of the emotions of, of, of people. Interesting. Anyway, I... I I pretty much have been telling all of my friends to watch this show, so I will tell everyone that's listening to this to watch this show immediately because it's freaking crazy good. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, and so for me, I finally broke down and started watching Parks and Rec, Recreation. Parks and Recreation debuted in 9 April 2009. It was created by Greg Daniels and Michael Schur. Um, So, you know, I like it. Again, you and I have talked about this on the podcast before. I still... I'm on season two now. I just don't find it as funny as The Office. I still don't. It's season, hard for me. Season two is re- when it really kind of gets its legs. Mm-hmm. It's where, when you really start seeing some some great character development. You get start seeing the personalities kind of come out. They're not. I think season one they decided they're going to make remake some of the characters, and you're. I think you're, you're going to only love the show more the more and more you watch it. It's kind of my show right now that I put on. Like if I'm ironing or you know doing something, it's my comedy because. You put on a drama, you can't do anything else. You have to sit there and watch it. So it's kind of like my background noise. Stars, you've got Amy, Amy Poehler as Leslie Nope, Nick Offerman as Ron Swanson, which I do love Ron. He's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Aubrey Plaza as April Ludgate. Chris Pratt 
as Andy Dwyer, Aziz Ansari as Tom Haverford, Rashida Jones as Ann Perkins, Adam Scott as Ben Wyatt, and Rob Lowe as Chris Traeger. So yeah, I mean, it's funny. Not The Office to me yet, but... Have you seen uh, the show Legion? I've heard of it. So you and I have talked about it before. I've not watched it. We have, and that that stars one of the one of the stars, Aubrey Plaza, in that. Interesting. She does a great job. And I know Jenny from the League is in there. Whatever her name is, yep. uh, Katie Asselton. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool. Well, all right. So let's get to kind of what we're going to talk about today, which is we're going to go kind of full nerd and give you some nerd facts on. We're calling this our top ten favorite St. Louis personalities. But full disclosure, this is kind of more of a people that were born in St. Louis, mm-hmm. and we didn't necessarily pick the most well-known. I think we wanted to kind of there are a lot there are a few on here that are very well known. But we wanted to choose a few that kind of we could give you some background information, yeah. some facts that maybe you don't already know. Yeah, something interesting. Yeah. So let's just get some honorable mentions: Akon, Maya Angelou, which is pretty cool. Eberhard Anheuser and almost all the August Bush lineage, Scott Bakula, Yogi Berra from The Hill, Linda Blair, Sterling K. Brown, Joe Buck, Harry Carey, Jimmy Connors, and Miles Davis are all local. Miles Davis is Alton, but we'll claim him from Alton. So. Yeah, and Joe Buck was technically born in St. Petersburg, Florida, but that's actually where the Cardinals played their their spring training oh, games. so his dad was down there. Yeah, but he was basically, he was raised in St. Louis yeah. for the most part. Got T.S. Elliott. Red Fox, Betty Grable, James and Sean Gunn. You know them? Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. John Hamm, that's probably the most well-known, or one of them. Jackie Jornick kersey amazing athlete. Kevin Klein, Candace Parker, who played in the or plays in the WNBA, was also a player for Tennessee Volunteers. Got Red Shandienst, who was born in Germantown, but that's about 40 miles away. We'll, we'll count it. Mike Shannon. Got Leon and Corey Spinks, both boxers. And then some NASCAR drivers, Rusty, Mike, and Kenny Wallace. Yeah, and then so some other random sports stars. Jerry Macklin, Marcus Golden, Afton, David Freeze, Ryan Howard, Pat Maroon, Cam Jansen, and Max Scherzer. Yeah, so there's quite a few yeah. pretty amazing players. Yeah, and there's, there's play, like, we didn't even put on here Bradley Beal. There's a lot of basketball yeah, players Jerry as well. Jerry Spurd, who's yeah. a Clayton grad, played in the NFL. Yeah, he destroyed Afton in football. I remember that yeah. well. He's so, good. yeah. I should say Derek Frost. He's a friend of mine. He played in the NFL for five years. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. We, got, we got a lot of athletes. Yeah. A lot of pretty pretty well known sports stars here from St. Louis. There so. you go. All right. So on to person number one. You've heard of this person. His name is Andy Cohen. Yes. So real quick, a little bit of early life. He's born in St. Louis, Missouri, on June second, nineteen sixty eight. He graduated from Clayton High in nineteen eighty six. Is again why I chose this man. He's also a graduate from Boston University, where he received a Bachelor of Science degree in broadcast journalism. And I was just at Boston University last week. Yeah. Okay, so what made him famous? He joined the television network Trio in 2000, later becoming vice president of original programming at Bravo in 2004, when the network purchased Trio. While in the position, he helped some Bravo staples like Top Chef and Project Runway become what they are today. In 2005, he struck gold when he brought The Real Housewives to the network. Little known fact, The Real Housewives of New York was originally called Manhattan Moms. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of what he's known for, just that whole Real Housewives series that people love. A few nerd facts about him. He is the first openly gay late night talk show host, which debuted in 2009. It's called Watch What Happens Live. Yeah, and he went to camp... Nabagaman and Lake 
Nabagaman, Wisconsin every summer from 1978 to 1983. During this period, he became an NRI certi- NRA certified rifleman in four positions. Yeah. He's best friends with Anderson Cooper. They've actually done a bunch of different tours. They have chat shows, etc. So they're, you know, they're good friends. Yeah, he used to be a go-go dancer with the B-52s as well. Right. Yeah. Which is hilarious. Uh, he, he actually had the chance to throw out the first pitch at a Cards game twice, once in 2010 and 2016. Hmm. Yeah, and Cohen was given the chance to host the Miss Universe pageant in 2013, but declined in protest of Russia's homophobic laws and practices. Their discriminatory policies make it unsafe for the gays who live there and gays coming to work or visit, Cohen told E! News. He went on to say that he didn't feel right as a gay man stepping foot into Russia. Yeah, that's great for him to stand up. Yeah, for sure. And he actually dated Lance Bass a long oh. time ago. He's from, not NSYNC, the Backstreet Boys. Or is he NSYNC? He's NSYNC. Yeah, I'm not a, yeah, I figured you would know the boy bands. I was got it. guessing. I got you on that. You were probably reading Twilight, listening to Backstreet Boys. Yeah. Yeah, or 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 in sync actually. Wearing your yeah, wearing your beret, playing chess. You were doing all this with stuff. my new kids on the block T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. Let's get it all all the boxes checked there. Mm-hmm. So, okay, let's move into person number two. And since Justin picked the Clayton High School, I had to go with Afton High School, and John Goodman. Some early life of John Goodman. He was born in Afton, Missouri. His father died of a heart attack when he was two years old, and his mom was a waitress at Phil's Barbecue. Did you ever have that when you worked at Afton? I did, yeah. It was great. Yeah, I wasn't a fan. Uh, it's closed now, but um, it's a little hole-in-the-wall barbecue place. But it was a real staple. I mean, my parents oh, yeah. knew that place yeah. growing up. Yeah. He went to Afton High School, where he played football and did theater. And then he played football at Southwest Missouri State, which is now Missouri State, and graduated with a degree in fine arts. Yeah, so, I mean, he's known as an actor, obviously. If, if you've never heard of John Goodman, he did make his film debut in Eddie McCann's Run. He worked on Broadway. He broke into movies in 1986, in the movie True Stars. And really, what made him famous was playing Dan Connors in Roseanne from 86 to 97. And actually, we should put on there that that did come out again recently. Yeah, and now it's called The Connors, because Roseanne's off the show, and yeah. it's called The Connors. It was Roseanne for one year. Then she said some bad things on Twitter, and now it's just the Connors. Yep. Okay, so let's look at nerd facts. He's hosted Saturday Night Live 13 times. His actually first, his first television appearance, this is funny, was for a Burger King commercial in which he had no lines, and he just took a giant bite of a Whopper sandwich and smiled. You know, I think I could probably do that. I I hope so. Yeah. So he was regarded as being so crucial to the feature film version of The Flintstones that the per- project would have been shelved if he had turned down the role of Fred Flintstone. So they wrote that movie with him as Fred Flintstone. Which, I mean, makes sense. If you yeah. watch the film, He, I think he's a pretty good... Yes. does a good portrayal mm-hmm. of it. The film was not the best, but no. kind of makes yeah. sense. Dan Connor, the character he plays in Roseanne, was ranked number 13 in TV Guide's list of the 50 greatest TV dads of all time. Hmm. Interesting. Was He was the first guest on Late Night with Conan O'Brien in 1993 when the show premiered, which is crazy to think Conan O'Brien's been around for 26 years now. That's crazy. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I think that's a pretty cool bit of trivia mm-hmm. there. He actually began his career in a small theater in Springboro, Ohio, called the Miami Valley Dinner Theater, now called La Comedia Dinner Theater. And he appeared in the musical 1776 in... 1975. That was at the Muni a few weeks ago. I was going to go see it, but I didn't make it down there. 
Really? No. So, his wife, Annabeth Goodman, owns a children's clothing store called Pippin Lane on Magazine Street in New Orleans, Louisiana. So if you're trying to find a star here on the St. Louis Walk of Fame, you can find that at 6508 Delmar Boulevard. And it happened, or it was given to him, or awarded to him, May 18, 1997. Yeah, and then, so if you want to find his Hollywood Walk of Fame star, it's 6767 Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. He received that on March 10, 2017. So. John Goodman is just, is, I mean, being from St. Louis, he's, you know. He's, he's probably he's, one of the most famous St. Louisans around, I would think. He's a pretty iconic actor, for sure. Yeah, the most famous Afton person, for sure. Yeah. That's, I mean, for a few more years until I make my rise. Yeah, up the as rise. of now, we'll just say that, right? So, the next person we're going to talk about, we're going to get into some kind of obscure people. Uh, this person's name is Dwight Davis, and I, I guess it depends on kind of your perspective of what you consider obscure. He was born in St. Louis, Missouri, on July fifth, eighteen seventy nine. His grandfather, Oliver Dwight Philly, was mayor of St. Louis from eighteen fifty eight to eighteen sixty one. And he's basically known as a tennis tennis aficionado. He reached the all-comers final for the men's singles title at the U.S. Championship in 1898 and 1899. He then teamed up with Holcomb Ward and won the men's doubles title at the championships for three years in a row from 1899 to 1901. Davis and Ward were also men's doubles runners-up at Wimbledon in 1901. So, I mean, he had a pretty good... Pretty yeah. good run. Mm-hmm. He also won the American Inter- Intercollegiate Single Championship in 1899 when he attended Harvard. And he died on November 28, 1945. Yeah. So let's look at what made him famous. So in 1900, Davis developed the structure for and donated a silver bowl to go to the winner of a new international tennis competition designed by him and three others, known as the International Lawn Tennis Challenge, which was later renamed the Davis Cup in his honor. <clears throat> he was a member of the U.S. team that won the first two competitions in 1900 and 1902 and was also the captain of the 1900 team. So he's a good tennis player. I mean, yeah, but the Davis Cup is yeah. a huge award that's played. I mean, it's just a, it's, it's such a cool trophy. And I thought having the person that basically it's, well, it was named after that created it, being from St. Louis, is amazing. So a few nerd facts. First of all, he was actually educated at Wash U Law School. Say he's a law degree, even mm-hmm. though he never actually practiced law. Yeah, and I think this is pretty cool. He served President Calvin Coolidge as an assistant secretary of war in 1923 to 1925, and then as secretary of war from 1925 to 1929. So that's pretty cool. Like That's yeah. a pretty famous thing to do as well. And can continue his political work. He also served as governor general of the Philippines from 29 to 32 under Hoover. Hmm. And then the Davis Cup is the premier international team event in men's tennis. So we kind of talked about it a little bit, but, yeah, it's to reiterate, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I don't want to get into it earlier, but it's, it's contested annually between teams from competing countries in a knockout format. And, fittingly, we just had the World Cup. It is designed as the described as the World Cup of tennis. And their, their winners are referred to as the world champion team. Right, and the actual first two player, two teams to play – was in 1900 as a challenge between Great Britain and the U.S. And then in 2016, so after the first two in 1900, 135 teams, nations, entered teams into the competition. Right, and there have been a lot of countries with a lot of success, but over the history, the U.S. has the most. They've won 32 tournaments, finishes runners-up 29 times, 
Now, Australia has won 28 times, uh, including four times when they played with New Zealand as Australasia, which hmm. I didn't know that until I looked that up. I did not know that was, was a thing. They've yeah. also finished as runners-up 19 times. Yeah, so the most uh, present champions are Croatia, who beat France to win their second title in 2018. So when the cup was created, it was $1,000 in 1900. In today's money, that would be $700,000 it's worth. Yeah. Are you a big um, tennis player? Do you like to play tennis? You ever played before? Yeah, I played. I'm not very good. I, you know, I thought that maybe my ping pong skills would translate to the tennis court, but they do not. Yeah, I'm I'm terrible at it. It's fun to play, yeah. but I'm terrible at it. I, you know, I can I can uh, volley. I just cannot serve. I can serve. I'm not a very good volleyer. Yeah. So. Oh, really? Well, would be a good. That's another game. I think we may have to play all these challenges we're building up here. <laughs> yeah. So. So the Davis Cup is just to wrap this up. The Davis Cup is the only team tournament in the world that's lasted a full century. Yeah, and to wrap up Davis, he was honored with a star on the St. Louis Walk of Fame. Yeah. Yeah. As he should be. That's pretty amazing. That's a pretty – not to even mention the the Secretary of War and all that stuff. Right. All right. So person number four, we've got Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry grew up in North St. Louis. His father was a contractor, and his mother was a certified public school principal. He was arrested for armed robbery in Kansas City, Missouri. He began working in music during the early 1950s, and by early 1953, he had joined with a pianist named Johnny Johnson. So, I mean, what makes Chuck Berry famous? I mean, he's just an amazing musician, mm-hmm. right? His famous song, his most famous song was Maybelline, which sold over one million copies and was number one on the Billboard chart. Yep. He also took part in Alan Freed's Biggest Show for Stars in 1957, and he played at the White House for Jimmy Carter. In 1979. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So some nerd facts. He originally wanted to be a professional photographer and started singing and playing in a band so he could buy cameras and photography equipment. Some of his photographs of the famous and near famous are hanging in galleries around the world today. Yeah, I didn't know that he was a photographer. That's, that's I didn't know that either until I researched it. That's him. very unique. Yeah. But what I did know, and, and this makes sense, he was arguably considered the most important figure in rock and roll in the 1950s, besides Elvis Presley. And even though Presley had more, he had more of explosive record sales and greater commercial longevity, Barry was equally influential and had the satisfaction of knowing that he, unlike Presley, had actually written all of his own classics. Yeah. And then Chuck Berry was inducted into the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame in 1982, the Blues Hall of Fame in 1985, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he was a charter member in 1986, and the American Songwriters Hall of Fame in 1986. So a lot of Hall of Fames for Chuck Berry, deservedly so. Yeah, and actually one of his daughters, Aloha Berry, went to the same high school, which was U-City, as actor Edgar L. Davis and rapper Nelly. We're going to be talking about Nelly a little bit later here. Yeah. He was awarded a star on the St. Louis Walk of Fame at 6504 Delmar Boulevard in St. Louis, on June 25th, 1989. That's four days before I was born, for those of you out there wondering. <laughs> I'm sure everyone was. Now they know. Yeah. He's also awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame at 1777 North Vine Street in Hollywood, California, on October 7th, 1987. Yep. And until he passed in 2017, he performed on a Wednesday each month at the Blueberry Hill 
which is a restaurant in the Del Mar Loop neighborhood in St. Louis. You ever been to the Blueberry Hill? Oh yeah, that was a that was a weekend hangout for many many years. Did you ever see him play? Never saw him play, unfortunately. He was playing there nights that I was trying to go, and it's just too crowded. Yeah, the small little rooms, the duck room especially, is just it's pretty tough to get in there. You really there's no room to get around. So. Yeah. No, unfortunately not. All right, person five, William H. Danforth. I think you might learn some a few things about this guy. He was born September 10th, 1890. 70. He, oh, I'm sorry, 1870. Yeah, my bad. September 10th, 1870. He grew up in Mississippi County, Missouri. He married Ada Bush in 1894. He studied at Bureau College in Kentucky, and he died December 24th, 1955. Yeah, so what made Danforth famous was that in 1894, he partnered with George Robinson and William Andrews and entered the business of feeding farm animals by founding the Robinson Danforth Commission Company. It was named, it was named, the name was changed to Ralston Perina in 1902, and that's still downtown today. Yeah, I, think, I would think that if you were in St. Louis, you probably heard of Purina before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that's honestly, going into some nerd facts, let's talk about that a little bit. The Ralston's checkerboard logo evolved from a personal development concept Danforth put forth in his book, I Dare You, that he wrote in 1931, and he basically used a checkerboard to explain Mm -hmm. it. So that's kind of where that came from. Yeah, and he proposed that there's four key components in life that need to be in balance. And if you look at the, so if you're talking about this checkerboard, this iconic checkerboard logo, the illustration essentially says on the left, you've got physical, on the mental, you've got top. I'm sorry, on the top you've got mental, on the right you've got social, and on the bottom you've got religious. So in order to be healthy, you need all four squares to stay in balance. Hmm. His grandson include former U.S. Senator John Danforth and former Washington University Chancellor William Bill H. Danforth. Yeah, and they're, they're the Danforth Foundation was one of the largest private profit foundations in the St. Louis region. It closed its doors in 2001 after 84 years but it raised more than a billion dollars in grants. Hmm. And the Donald Danforth Plant Science Center was founded in 1998. The Independent Nonprofit Research Center was the result of Dr. William H. Danforth, founding chairman, and his vision that scientific knowledge, when applied to solving critical challenges, had potential to lift families and communities. I've actually been there. I went there on a professional development trip, and it's really cool, and they offer a lot of very cool programs for people. It's easy, not easy, but it helps you get a good job, a good paying job. So if you're interested, check it out. Yeah. And finally, the Danforth campus is the main campus at WashU. It was actually formerly known as the Hilltop Campus, but it was officially dedicated as the Danforth Campus on September 17, 2006, in honor of William H. Danforth, who was actually the 13th chan- chancellor of WashU. Hmm. All which, right. Which was, I don't know, I think that, Danforth, William H. Danforth, he's just had such a, an impact in our community that I, I I think that he's, I see him, I see his name on buildings, and I you thought it know. was interesting to kind of go in a little bit in depth mm-hmm. about who this man was and yeah. why he's so impactful. He is a very famous St. Louis and that a lot of people don't know about. So, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to move in now to Becky Sauerbrand, who is a, well, we'll get to that in a second. Her early life, she was born June 6, 1985. She went to Ladue High School, which I know both Afton and Clayton, that's a big rival, so, but that's okay. Um, she played soccer, volleyball, and basketball. Her senior year, she scored 21 goals, 
and 19 assists in soccer, and she went to the University of Virginia between 2003 and 2007. I think the insult that we just used against her was that you pronounced her Becky Sauerbrand. So yeah. that's that's our way of kind of, you know, yeah. poking at her. Yeah. Right. Yes, for sure. So, yeah. S- Sauerbrand. Yeah. That's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Exactly what happened. So, gotcha, Becky. Let's talk about what made them famous or what made her famous. She started all 20 I mean she's known as a as as a US soccer player. Yeah. Right? So that that's why she's famous. She started all 25 matches during the 2015 FIFA World Cup in which the United States won. She's also a member of the 2019 World Cup winning team. She's played for several professional teams including FC Kansas City, also currently plays for the Utah Royals FC, and she was also on the 2012 United States Olympic team. So this is her third Oh, I'm sorry. That was the Olympic team. So she's been on two FIFA World Cup teams, and she's also been played for the mm-hmm. Olympic team. Yeah, and I just think the reason I think we put her on here is because the women just won the World Cup. It's a big deal. So I thought, we've got an awesome St. Louis player. Let's put her in here. So yeah. let's look at some nerd facts about her. She was named the 2003 Missouri Gatorade Player of the Year, the 2002 and 2003 Parade All-American teams. She was a 2001 NSCAA Youth All-American and a 2002 NCSAA Adidas under-17 All-American. So, a lot of awards. Yeah, and she's just kind of tough, man. If you watch if you watch the finals this year against the Netherlands, I mean, she went up for a head ball and got bashed in the skull and had to wear a bandage, and she's bleeding, and she just came back in there and was just kind of doing an amazing job. Let she's me insert a comment here. Much tougher than the male soccer players you see in the World Cup. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, soccer players out there, you know I'm right. You know it. I, I love watching the women's play, the women play. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a fun it's just fun the way that the game develops with them. I'm not saying the men's game is better or worse, but I'm a huge fan of watching the women play. I get super psyched for whenever mm-hmm. the whenever the World Cup comes around every four years. So looking forward to 2023. All right, back back to Becky Sauerbrunn. She also joined the FCC Kansas City in 2013, which was actually the first season of W or NWSL, and was named. The Defender of the Year. Cool. She was named co-captain of the U.S. Women's International Team as well in 2016. So we did a little bit of some things she likes to do. She's big into reading, so Josh could uh, relate you know, relate a little mm-hmm. bit. And she, but she like and she likes science fiction. I know you like history. Wonder but if she's a Game of Thrones fan. I mean, probably. Probably. Yeah. Is that she, fantasy or science fiction? I guess that's more fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. So Who knows? Maybe she reads Star Wars novels. Yeah, that could be. She also enjoys cave swimming and playing video games, and I found this interesting. She especially likes games that have a strong female lead character. Totally makes sense. She's actually the first player in history, in the history of the National Women's Soccer League, to be awarded in three consecutive seasons the Defender of the Year Award. Back to video games. Her and her teammates were in FIFA 16, and they were the first women players included in FIFA. You ever played FIFA before? Oh sure, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, I love FIFA. It's great. I, I didn't know that about that. That's mm-hmm. pretty. That's pretty amazing. And she's actually that team, the 2015 FIFA Women's World Cup. They were awarded a ticker tape parade in New York, and they're the first women's sports team to get that. Yeah. And then finally, in 2016 of April, it was announced that she would appear in an ads in a 225 foot mural in New York for Budweiser. So some more St. Louis connections right there. Yeah. Good for her. Good for her and good for the women's soccer team. Mm-hmm. Congrats. Pretty amazing. 
All right, person number seven. This is also a kind of an obscure person mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of talk about. Marlon Perkins. So let's talk about Marlon. Marlon was born on March 28th, 1905 in Carthage, Missouri. We're claiming that as St. Louis. I know some of these are not mm-hmm. right around the corner, but, you know. Close cool. enough. Cool people, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. When he was seven years old, his mother nursed him through a serious bout of pneumonia. Unfortunately, she died of the illness herself. His father sent Marlon's two older brothers to private school, and Marlon was sent to his Aunt Laura's farm in, in Pittsburgh, Kansas. He attended the University of Missouri briefly, but actually quit school and became a laborer at the St. Louis Zoo. Mm-hmm. And so he rose from the ranks there, and he became the reptile curator in 1928. After being hired as a curator of the Buffalo Zoological Park in Buffalo, New York, he was eventually promoted to director in 1938. Then he served at the director in Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago from 1944 to 1962, where he returned to the St. Louis Zoo, this time as the director. He died on June 14, 1986, of cancer at his home in Clayton, Missouri. Got a lot of Clayton Clayton connections here, Justin. Well, it was not necessarily done purposefully, mm-hmm. but just, you know, Clayton blood runs deep. There you go. So what, what made him famous? Basically, from the, I mean, right when he started working with the zoo, he made his love of snakes known to the current zoo director, George Vierheller. Two weeks later... He actually placed Marlin in charge of six reptiles, the zoo's entire collection. This was a long time ago, so they mm-hmm. only had six reptiles. They got more now. Yeah, unfortunately, that reptile house is very scary. Oh, I hate snakes. It. I can't go in that place. My daughter made me go in there a couple weeks ago. I hate snakes. <laughs> but anyway, side rant. Marlin developed the collection and design cages for a reptile exhibit, which, contrary to the zoo's board of directors' expectations, drew large cl- crowds, so then a permanent exhibition was approved. Yeah, and basically within two years of being employed with the zoo, he's named Curator of, Rept- Curator of Reptiles, which is just a, an incredibly fast rise uh, to, to power, basically, if you want to call it that. Yeah. During the following 11 years, he added to the collection to, a, to, to reach a total of 500 That's animals. pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. And then when he returned to the St. Louis Zoo in 1962, he began working on the Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, which earned him four Emmys. In his programs, he followed migrating reindeer in Lapland, hogtied alligators in the marshes of Florida, Everglades, and he dove into the water off Australia's Great Barrier Reef looking for sea serpents. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, really what made him pretty popular is he televised all these travels and he visited places like jungles and deserts that many people had never been to or even mm-hmm. seen, just kind of read about. And he became recognized as a strong voice in favor of ecology long before the cause came into fashion. And he, and he really had an ability to express love and, and respect for animals on his show, as well as warn viewers that extinction is forever. So he was mm-hmm. really advocating and lobbying for animal safety, well-being, ecology, way before it was kind of a thing. Yeah, and so he also worked to enlighten people about animals that are feared or killed because of superstitions. Yeah, like sacrifices and things mm-hmm. like that. So stop doing those things. Yeah, please. Some nerd facts... His show during Wild, which is Wild Kingdom, during its run on television, the program was shown on 200 stations in North America and in more than 40 countries worldwide. He retired as director of the St. Louis Zoo in, in 1970, but remained active in the community and conservation projects up to the time of his death. Yeah, so in 1990, Marlon Perkins was inducted into the St. Louis Walk of Fame. 
And then in 1991, the St. Louis Zoo founded the Marlon Perkins Society to carry on its dream for conserving endangered species and nurturing their existence. I mean, our zoo is pretty darn amazing. So I think he had a big part of that. It's 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 annually ranked in the top three mm-hmm. zoos in the nation or public zoos in the nation. And I believe this last year it was ranked number one. Yeah, it's and usually, it's free. I mean, that's the best part. Right. Public, I should say public yeah. free zoos. Mm-hmm. This last year, I'm pretty sure it was number one. It kind of jockeys between us and San Diego. Yeah. Cool. So thank you, Marlon. Okay. Let's move on to Nelly. Nelly was born November 2nd, 1974 in Texas, and his given name is Cornell Ira Haynes Jr. We claim him as a St. Louisan because he moved to St. Louis as a teenager and went to University City High School. He embarked on his musical career in 1994 with the St. Lunatics. He became moderately famous in 1997 with the song Let Me Know What You Got, but this did not gain widespread fame, so he became a solo act. Yeah, so what made him famous? I mean, the album Country Grammar, some of his most popular tracks, Ride With Me. The album was actually certified nine times platinum. So he's just an artist, an Mm -hmm. R&B rapper. Mm -hmm. That we say from St. Louis. But, I mean, his band, his group was called yeah, St. Lunatics. Murphy Lee and all those guys. Yeah. His second album, Nellyville, was extremely popular as well. It debuted number one on the Billboard 200. Some of those songs, popular songs from the album, were were Dilemma and Kelly Rowland sang, in there, sang on that song, as well as Hot in Here. And Hot in Here actually won Grammy for Best Male Song in 2003. He still has music coming out, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some nerd facts about Nelly. He often wears clothing bearing the logos of St. Louis sports teams. He was big in the blues when they won the cup. And he has three tattoos. Lunatic, which is right above his navel. A human heart that appears to emerge from his chest, which is in his upper left chest area. And five playing cards and dice on his right arm. Yeah, and he has two kids. He has a daughter, Chanel Haynes, who was born 2-27-1994, and then Cornell Haynes III, goes by Trey, was born 3-2-99. Chanel was born two months early. So let me, I'm going to give you two trends that he started, and I want you just to tell me if you did them or not. Did you wear sports jerseys backwards? Negative. Did you wear a Band-Aid on either cheek? I did not, but I still make that joke to my kids, and like, what are you talking about? So the youngins today don't know what I'm talking about when I make that joke. Yeah. So his sister, Jackie Donahue, needed a bone marrow transplant. Nellie helped her begin the Just For Us, Just Us For Jackie campaign to raise awareness of the need for more bone marrow and blood stem cell donors. With this campaign, Nellie and Jackie hope to enroll more donors, especially among black Americans and other minority groups. So I kind of mentioned these songs already, but let's let's go a little more in depth. Hot in Here was number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for seven weeks, which was followed immediately by Dilemma, which again featured Kelly Rowland. That was number one for 10 weeks. Dilemma was the first ever rap song to stay at number one for 10 weeks on the Billboard Hot 100. And he's actually tied. Listen to this. Nelly is tied with Sir Elton John for the most consecutive weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 by a male solo artist. That's impressive. They're coming out with an Elton John movie. Soon. They already came out. Did it come out already? Yeah, yeah with Teron Edgerton as Elton John. Yeah, yeah, Rocket Man. Yeah. Really good. Nelly also created the Apple Bottom clothing line, which Apple used to be very jeans. famous. Yep. Yeah. He did star in the movie The Longest Yard with Adam Sandler in 2005. 
Yeah, and then a fun fact about Nelly was that he played for the St. Louis Amateur Baseball Association and was in training camps with the Atlanta Braves and Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, he's just an athlete, too. Yeah. He's just got a lot of talents. Yeah, Nelly's a good guy from St. Louis. Yeah. All right, so we're going to jump into our next St. Louisan. His name is Vincent Price. So a little bit about him. He was born Vincent Leonard Price Jr. on May 27th, 1911. He's the youngest of four children's. Or four, four children. He's the youngest of four children of Vincent Leonard Price Sr., who was the president of the National Candy Company and his wife, Marguerite Cobb Price. His grandfather was Vincent, Vincent Clarence Price. i got to slow down because I'm, I'm stumbling over my You're my messing words. up. You're messing up. I am. I'm messing up. And I don't so wanna, I'm here to point and out And I don't want to mess up things yeah. about, about Mr. Vincent Price. His grandfather invented Dr. Price's baking powder, which is the first cream of tartare-based baking powder and it secured the family's fortune so he was pretty pretty well off already he actually went to st louis country day school which is now micds Mm -hmm. and milford academy in milford connecticut he graduated with a degree in english and a minor in art history from yale in 1933 he also worked for the campus humor museum Humor Magazine, the Yale... Re- <laughs> man, the Yale... You record. are struggling today. I know. Yeah. He taught for a year and basically said, you know what, I'm going to jump on the stage. And he did that. Did so in 1934. And his acting career actually began in London in 1935, where he performed Orson Welles' Mercury Theater. And he died October 25th, 1993 in L.A. I'm sure I'm going to mess up now since I've been giving you so much I, crap. I, was just, I needed to stop. It's too, too much talking. <laughs> So what made them famous? him famous was he was known as a master of horror. His big break was The House of Wax, which was one of the, in 1953, was one of the first films shot in 3D in which he played a murderous but seemingly kindly sculptor who uses human victims to populate his eerily lifelike wax museum. I believe that was remade. Mm-hmm. With this film, he established himself and he was instrumental in reestablishing the genre's popularity, performing in films such as The Fly, the House on the Haunted Hill, also remade. Return of the Fly and The Tingler. So a lot of horror movies that are pretty famous. Well, he is known as the master of horror. Yeah. So then, in the 1960s, Price appeared in his most acclaimed series of films. Adaptations of Edgar Allan Poe's short stories as directed by B-film king Roger Corman. Yeah, that's really what kind of made him super popular. He also appeared with other veterans... Of the macabre, which was, I mean, people like Boris Karloff, Basil Rathbone, Peter Lorne. He he just had a bunch of movies he was in. He was always kind of like known as like a menacing person. Mm-hmm. House of Usher, The Pit and the Pendulum, Tales of Terror, The Raven, The Haunted Palace, The Mask, The Mosque of the Red Death, and The Tomb of Ligeria. Basically, this is when he attained what people would call cult figure status really among the younger generation, but he would parody his own gothic image in other television shows like, or even movies like The Beach Party, The Comedy of Terrors, and Dr. Goldfoot. He returned to New York stage in 1978 with his acclaimed portrayal of Oscar Wilde in the play divisions, Diversions and Delight. And he was also in a few other, he made a couple of TV and film um, performances later on, most notably Edward Scissorhands in 1990. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into some nerd facts. He accumulated more than 200 IMBD credits, and Mr. Price would attend his film's premieres in costumes to play pranks on moviegoers. And him and Christopher Lee actually share, share the same birthday. 
Yep. So then Vincent Price was a visual inspiration for the original illustrations of the Marvel superhero Doctor Strange. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Created in 1963, the sorcerer's full name, played by Benedict Cumberbatch in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is Stephen Vincent Strange. Yeah, he was also a chef. A chef, yeah. believe it or not. He wrote mm -hmm. a number of cookbooks, which is pretty hilarious. And unfortunately, Edward Scissorhands was one of his last on-screen appearances. He was supposed to have a really large role, but because of illness, he was only in two scenes. Yeah, and he was honored with no less than two stars in the Hollywood Walk of Fame, the first for his contribution to film and the other for his work in television. He died October 25th, 1993. And again, like you said, he's got two different stars, which is pretty amazing. One for movies, one for television work. That's not something that happens very yeah. often. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to person number 10. Our last person is Jack Dorsey. Early life. He was born November 19th, 1976. I found this interesting. I did not know this. He was a Catholic, and he went to Bishop DeBerg High School. He worked as a model. He attended the University of Missouri Rolla for two years. Then he moved to NYU before he dropped out. Then he moved to California and started a company that was based on the AOL instant messaging system. And what people know him the most for is he was the CEO of Twitter which is one of the most used social media platforms in the world. Yeah, I would say that's his big, famous thing. Yeah. I mean, I, a lot of us, I use Twitter every day. So, mm -hmm. some nerd facts. He's also the co-owner of Square Inc., which is on the New York Stock Exchange. Do you, have you ever used a Square? I have not. So, they're pretty neat, and, and a lot of stores nowadays use them, most notably, um, what's it called? I'm totally blanking on the name of it right now. Frillo. Oh, it. really? Got it. Mm. Yeah. In, in 2009, he met privately with President Donald Trump to discuss concerns that Twitter was censoring conservatives. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, and to go with that, he's on-record donor for the Democratic Party and has considered a run for the mayor of New York. So, yeah, that's an interesting little tidbit there. Mm -hmm. He walks five miles to work every morning to clear his head. Yeah, and he lives in San Francisco, where he gets a nice, beautiful, sweeping view of the Golden Gate Bridge. In late 2017, I couldn't do this. He completed 10 days of meditation known as Vipassanya. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Basically, you go and you're like quiet. You don't speak yeah. to anybody. I mean, that's, that's crazy. I could not do I, that. I can go, hardly go 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, in 2018, he went on a birthday trip to Myanmar where social media may have helped fuel a genocide of Muslims, so he took a lot of heat for that. In 2008, he was named to the MIT Technology Review, TR35, as one of the top 35 innovators in the world under the age of 35. Yeah, but then, before that, in 2016, he was ranked by Fox Business as the number four worst CEO of 2016, citing stagnant growth, falling stock prices, and his part-time commitment to Twitter. Well, it was after that. So yeah. he's, he's yeah. this up-and-coming guy oh, yeah. in 2006, yeah. or 2008, mm -hmm. and 2016, it's like, well, he sucks. you kind of dropped yeah. the ball on That's that That's what one. they said. And funny enough, in 2017, 24-7 Wall Street listed Dorsey among the 2017 worst CEOs in America. Two years in a row by two different uh, companies. Yeah, that's not good. That's not a good thing to be known as. Not so. good. But he has a lot of money. Yeah, he has a lot Square's more money a than cool I company. have. Mm -hmm. Twitter's Twitter, pretty yeah. great as well. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's doing okay. Yeah. So let's get into uh, our nerd outreach. We're at the end. Yeah. Great podcast today. We talked today. about a lot of mm -hmm. different random. Are Justin Hildebrand and Josh Boyd going to be on somebody's list someday is the question. For Nerd is a new cool podcast. So I mean, one really, one can only hope. Yeah, for sure. 
So what do you got? What are some yeah. thank yous? So thank yous. We've got uh, thank you to our fans and our listeners out there. Thank you to Clayton High School for letting us use your building. And as always, thank you to my wife and daughter for allowing me to do this. Of course, please send us your future show, show suggestions. This is the reason why we came up with this episode is we had someone send in that they thought it would be cool for us to talk about some, mm-hmm. some St. Louis celebrities. So thanks for that. Send them to us at nerdisthenewcoolpodcast at gmail.com. Or tag us on any of the socials. Hashtag nerd is the new cool podcast. And those socials are, you can like or follow us on Facebook or Instagram at nerd is a new cool podcast. Follow us on Twitter at nerd is a new CO2. And we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Just search nerd is a new cool podcast. All right. Well, until next time. Yep. See you guys. Bye-bye.